Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, welcome to this episode number 351 of Charlotte Ridge Podcast Beyond 300. That's right, we've passed the 350 mark, uh, and we're still going along. I'm here with co-hosts Sarah Archer and Hannah LaRue, and uh, once again, we've got a great lineup for you today. Yeah, we start up with an author feature for award-winning journalist and debut author Tracy Buchanan. She's just really awesome. I love talking with her, and uh, we talked about her novel Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace. Uh, which author Susan Reinhart describes as Southern fiction at its finest, and which author Camille Pagan says is a story about finding the courage to carve your own path while you still have time. Next up, we're going to have a two-minute tip from Paul Reale of Charlotte Lit called Refreshing Your Reading. Yeah, and we have Matt Scott, author of Surviving the Lion's Den, with his blog post, The Keys to Writing My First Novel. And we finish up today with reading recommendations, book pitches, community and listener engagement, and what's coming up in the next episode. Yeah, but first, what's up with the podcast book? This month, we're celebrating the release of book six in the Write Quote series titled Writing Community, Revision, and Editors. Yeah, super excited about this one. There's a lot of great material in there, um, inspirational and practical quotes that we've pulled from over 500 podcast interviews with hardworking, award-winning, and New York Times bestselling authors in more than 33 U.S. states and five countries. Yeah, and this book reveals how writers really feel about writing community, revision, and editors. Um, to learn more, just head over to our website, charlottereaderspodcast.com, and click on the podcast books tab in the menu bar. Uh, you can order this book online and wherever print books are sold. Also, don't forget that the first book in the Write Quote series, which is called The Writing Life, can be downloaded for free online. That's our gift to you, to the writing universe. So look for that link in the podcast books page of our website. Yeah, and you can also pre-order the upcoming books in the series now. Uh, gosh, we're uh, almost uh, out of books. So we only got seven and eight left. Uh, book seven comes out September 1st. It's the emotional writing journey, uh, the ups and downs of being a writer and uh, perseverance and everything that goes with it. Uh, book eight, publishing and book marketing. Uh, it's an October one release. Uh, a lot of good content in there about the publishing world and how to get your book out there. Uh, and of course, we've got books uh, one through six. Uh, so check those out as well. If you want to receive all eight of the books for free, the eBooks, then you can join our street team. Um, just go to the contact tab on the menu bar at charlottereaderspodcast.com, or you can also go to the podcast books page of the website, and there's a link there to join. All you have to do is um, just agree to leave your short, honest reviews online about the books, just a few words about how you felt about them, and you will get all eight eBooks for free. These aren't heavy reads, but they're full of weighty tips and reflections. Yeah, and don't forget that if you become a Patreon supporter of the show, uh, for as little as $5 a month, we'll give you all the books for free ahead of their release. Um, that's in addition to the 150 exclusive interviews that you'll be able to access on our channel on the craft and business of writing. All right. Uh, so, yeah, check those books out. Uh, when you do, you're helping the podcast, and uh, you're also getting uh, insight into what uh, all these writers think about uh, this thing called writing. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. 
If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. All right, here we are with Act One, uh, the interview portion of our show. Uh, today we have author Tracy Buchanan. The book title is Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace. Sarah, tell us about Tracy. Uh, sure. I love a good Southern writer, so I'm excited for Tracy. Um, she crashed into the literary world when she was six and won her first writing award. Fast forward through years as an award-winning journalist, mom, volunteer, freelance writer, editor, artist, small business owner, and circus performer. As she says, not really, but wouldn't that be something? <laughs> you find her now happily planted in the world of fiction with her debut novel, Toward the Corner of Mercy and Peace. Yeah, and uh, Hannah, you read the book and interviewed uh, Tracy. Tell us about the book. Yeah, it's a really, it's a good book. It's it's interesting. I've never read anything quite like it. Um, it's it's great. And it takes place in 1952 in the town where she actually is from, Paducah, um, about a character named Minerva Place. And she would prefer everyone mind their own business um, and follow the rules. And if they're dead, they should just stay dead. Um, <laughs> you know, nosy neighbors and irritating church members are bad enough. But when residents of the local cemetery start showing up, the quirky widow wonders if she's going crazy. Um, with the help of the living and the dead. Minerva is forced to face issues she thought she had buried. She discovers the power of forgiveness and why it's worth it to let others in your life, even when it hurts. She's a great character, Minerva. And I was telling Tracy, I'm just like, I haven't, you know, read a book about a Minerva aside from Harry Potter. So this is great. <laughs> it's like very, very good yeah. name. Great name. Yeah. Um, and, and she's gotten some praise for it as well. Yeah, and so uh, Jacqueline Sheehan, who is a New York Times bestselling author, says that Tracy, Tracy Buchanan hits the sweet spot of humor and tragedy where anything, if even love, is possible, which is true. Right, that's great. Well, with that introduction, let's uh, listen to Hannah's interview with Tracy. Hey, listeners, we are here today with Tracy Buchanan, um, the author of an awesome book called Toward the Corner of Mercy in Peace. I'm so excited to talk about this. It's a really unique story um, with a really interesting protagonist that we have. Um, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, of course. So I kind of want to kick things off talking about your lead character here, Minerva Place. She is a very interesting character. She has a lot of um, very prominent characteristics, I feel like. She's kind of an elderly lady, um, likes to be alone, but maybe she doesn't like to be alone, you know? Um, I kind of wanted to talk to you a little bit about her and how you fleshed her out. Um, tell us a little bit about her and her background. Well, Minerva came to me after I already started writing the book. And I, I was, I, at first I was focused on the dead characters that Minerva ends up writing about in the book and uh, t was trying to come up with a story about around these different characters. And I thought, well, if I have somebody who can introduce them and tell, tell us, sort of be a guide of who they are, then that would work. But then as Minerva took shape, she took over and the book became more about her rather than these characters. Right. That's kind of funny that you say that, um, that she came to you after you started writing because she's such a, like, like I said, she has all of these really prominent characteristics. Her, her character really kind of just like, you find yourself really attached to her. I really loved her. Like you start feeling a certain way about her in the whole story. You feel a different way. Um, I think that's really interesting. And she has a lot of kind of complex relationships. So like you were saying, writing about kind of dead people, um, reality versus is this in my head sort of in the beginning and things like that. So um, what was the value of relationships for you while you were writing this book? Well, 
like how you wanted to, dis- to describe her relationships with different people, both alive and dead? Well, I wanted to, each person that she came in contact with to reveal a little bit more about who she was, because I've, like you said, I think Minerva is a complex character. She's uh, she, on the face of things. She could be easy to dislike because she's very yeah. prickly and has strong opinions, can be even judgmental. But I wanted to show as uh, she wrote about people and as she interacted with people, uh, her different layers and that she really had been hurt in the past. And she was acting. uh, I think she acts out of fear. She uh, she's afraid she'll get hurt again. And so she keeps people at a distance. And the, the dead characters that she writes about show different aspects of her past life. So she yeah. writes them, but she writes them like we all do with a bias of her own uh, experience. So they reveal little bits and pieces about who she was in the past and how she's come to be the person she is. I love that. And you mentioned, I have to ask this because you mentioned, you know, you start writing this book and then she came to you. So do you feel like uh, a lot of the time we're talking to writers and they're just like, our, my, our characters just don't leave us alone. You know, they're, they're kind of like hanging out on my shoulder, telling me things. They become their own people in their own right, I guess, you know. So did you feel like that about her while you were writing this? Like she is a real person in the world. Her story kind of came, it told itself to you versus you wrote it or created it? Did it feel like that at any point? Yes, she definitely has a strong voice, very strong voice. And uh, I, I still find myself saying forevermore all the time. She, <laughs> she, she's saying forevermore. And uh, I find myself saying that now and I sound like this old lady, you know. Who's <laughs> oh my but, gosh. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's going to stick with me a long time. Oh my God. Yeah. She has a lot of different things. I felt like throughout the story for readers, as you're reading this book, you're just going to be like, oh my gosh, you just did such a great job fleshing her out and making her into this full blown person. Um, and like you just said, I think it's really cool how you, it's, it's a unique thing. I haven't read a book like this before where you have, um, well, first that she's talking with dead people and doing this kind of different style of research, so to speak, but like they're teaching her about herself. So it's a, it is a very layered story in that sense where it's like her past life and the traumas that she's dealt with. It's like, it's coming to her in kind of um, creative ways, I guess, you know, um, what was the most fun part about writing that side of the story? Well, learning the history of these people was just fascinating to me because I did do research, much like Minerva does. And uh, as I researched these different people and learned about their lives, I thought, how how many stories are out there? I mean, there's millions and millions of stories out there because yeah. every person, every person has their own story. And so I was fascinated to learn about um, these people who actually live in my hometowns. Uh, at some point. So these, oh, wow. these people, they're all real people. And uh, all of these stories are based on fact. Of course, they're very fleshed out with imagination, <laughs> but, uh, but Good. yeah, well, we, right. But um, all of these people actually did live. So uh, she writes about um, a woman named Della Barnes and Della Barnes is a, a famous ghost story here in my hometown of Paducah. And she she imagines what Della's story really was. And so she uh, there's lots of debate over whether Della was murdered or whether she took her own life. 
and, and Minerva, Minerva imagines that. Um, there's another, uh, we had a vice president come from our city. It was Vice President Alvin Barkley. And I write about his father and I write about his brother. And his brother was an in- interesting character to me because he sang for silent movies. So he would go to a movie theater and sing the, the, the musical score while the movie was going on. So there was the, a live singer. Wow, during- that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? And, but he ended up uh, falling off a train and getting killed. And so um, Minerva imagines what, why he fell off that train and um, imagines the kind of relationship he must have had with her, his older brother. And she has an older sister that she um, compares this relationship to. So it was just fascinating finding out all these little tidbits. Yeah, that's so it's like this book is basically and I felt like this when I was reading it, too. It's like a story about a story about a story. Like there's so many little stories in there, which really made it like it's impossible to get bored. Right. So which is my favorite thing. Like you cannot get bored with this book. It's amazing. Um, So how did you start? Like if there this is so cool that it's all based in your hometown where you are now. Where did you start the research process to pick the people that you wanted to kind of weave into this story? Well, I was asked by the city of Paducah to write some character sketches about people who were actually buried in one of our most historical cemeteries. And uh, they were going to do a tour of the cemetery and people would come through the cemetery. A character who I'd written about would come to life and tell their story. So I wrote monologues for these different characters. They would be dressed period clothing and so uh, they wanted me to get a variety of people from different different eras, different times in Paducah's past and um, tell their story. So I was uh, doing research on, on one of, I wanted to write something about the, we had a very bad flood here and uh, killed many, many people back in, in the 30s. And uh, I wanted to write something about one of the flood victims and as I was researching and, and found a woman who, who was actually, it was written in her log that she was the last victim of the flood. And I thought okay. that was interesting, you know, that she was considered the last victim of yeah. the flood. So I did a little more research on her and uh, found out that she had been also accused of murder, murdering a woman by putting dynamite under her bed. So, um, that's gosh, (laughs) (laughs) actually, actually the book started being about her, but when I, um, as I got through it, it it was just so dark. It was just so sad that I thought, I, I don't think I can spend a year with this, this character like this. So she became one of the subsequent characters that Minerva writes about. Yeah. But so they all started as part of a, a, little drama that our city produced yeah it does so insane that these things like i feel like on a day-to-day basis you know you hear stories that are happening in your community and you're just sort of like how like a dynamite under the bed how did you even (laughs) come up with this idea (laughs) (laughs) yeah like what in what world is that a great thing to do that you think oh i'm gonna get away with this (laughs) like (laughs) let's give it a shot um yeah Oh my gosh. Wow. So that's such an interesting start to all this. And so you'd say, did it take you about a year to write and flesh out all of the the whole story or how long did it take you to actually compile the book? 
It is really hard for me to say how long it took me to write toward the corner of mercy and peace, because uh, like I said, I started, it began with doing research on these, these simple characters, these individuals. And then over a course of years, I was actually cleaning out some computer files and thought, you know, it's just a shame to, to not do anything else with these characters. And so that's, that's when I came up with the idea of um, introducing them through another person. And Minerva Place is actually a street in Paducah that I pass by all the time. And at some point passing by it, I thought that would be a great character name. So this this woman became Minerva Place. Yeah. You know, I was going to ask you how you came up with the name Minerva in general, just because to me, it's like I've only heard that name one time and it's in the Harry Potter series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Minerva McGonagall. So I was just like, it's very cool to read about a different um, character named Minerva. I love that name and it fits her so perfectly. Um, I just love that. And so I want to talk a little bit more about her again, going back to her relationships. So, you know, she sort of connects really deeply with a six-year-old boy, George. Um, and really his father too you know that whole the relationship really builds throughout the course of the book and leads to a lot of transformation for her Um, so can you talk a little bit about how you made that choice to sort of bring a young boy in here um, into the story to kind of uh, help change her life a little bit how did that character come to you well I have seven grandkids oh oh my gosh (laughs) you must be busy (laughs) the oldest grandchild is named george but um the whole the whole uh story about how she and george first meet up uh was based on a story that my daughter-in-law had told me about an incident that happened at their house uh, one halloween and uh, a little boy just burst into their house and started running through it and the father was frantically chasing after him and he was hollering the name George and uh, that's that stuck with her she she was so charmed by this little boy that that stuck with her and that became their first son's name not not only because of that but but partially inspired by that yeah so um I thought that sounded like a a character who could come into Minerva's life that she would be uh, a little less intimidated by because he is a child and um, and she is intimidated by people. She's um, she's scared of people. She's uh, afraid of um, getting too close to them. So a little boy would not be as threatening, although she claims to not like boys at all. She's a piano teacher and little boys seem to have dirty fingernails all the time while girls don't. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love that she and you know she in the beginning um the George's father calls Minerva to try to get her to give him piano lessons and she is very like resistant to that at the start you know she's like "Ah, no and then she feels guilty about it you know she carries a lot of guilt in a lot of different situations I feel like guilt and grief and you can totally feel that um in her throughout the course of the book and but but yeah no it's it's funny because I feel like George it's an interesting um relationship just because of the age difference and their life experiences are very different at the time but they work together in this way that you're sort of just you connect so much with both of them I mean George for me I was just like in tears several (laughs) times reading about you know him and them them having these talks and stuff like that and 
Um, I just thought that was super great. I was hoping that you'd read us a selection from the book if you're ready to do that. Sure, I will. This comes from toward the beginning of the book when Minerva is still debating whether or not she's sane or not because she's seeing these people that she writes about. All Minerva Place wanted was to be left alone. Was that too much to ask? People kept cluttering up her life, scrambling over her like ants on a deserted picnic. She wanted to be more charitable. She did. But forevermore, for someone who lived alone, she never got a minute's peace. First her neighbor, then the phone call, and what was that in between? Was Captain Fowler real or a figment of her imagination? That whole episode was unsettling. He seemed real enough, but she knew he couldn't be. Could he? She considered that she might be on the verge of a nervous breakdown. She'd been hearing about more people having them, lots of Hollywood types, but regular people too. And the prescribed cure she'd heard about was terrifying. Electroshock therapy, awful. Minerva wanted nothing to do with that. But what if she didn't have a choice? What if she was crazy? What if someone found out she'd been seeing people who are dead? Captain Fowler wasn't the only visitor or apparition or whatever it was she'd seen. No, these episodes had happened before and were becoming more frequent. Taciturn and fixed to a casual observer, Oak Grove Cemetery had risen to ask Mrs. Minerva Place to dance. The resting place that slept beneath a canopy of stars and branches and moss and granite winked at eternal constraints and offered Mrs. Place an engraved invitation, a bevy of invitations. Each gravestone vibrated with intrigue. She was compelled to learn more. Captain Fowler's marker was like every other marker in Oak Grove. The angel, the obelisk, the unassuming flat piece of granite, all summoned Minerva. Each spoke with a distinctive voice, and she could not rid her mind of these sounds. Oh, the stories, the questions. Who could resist such invitations? Not Minerva. So instead of sitting on the sofa, stitching a sampler, she sat at the Cherry Duncan Fife dining room table in her late parents' home and wrote her measured handwriting detailing the lives of otherwise forgotten souls. Minerva carried a plethora of knowledge about Paducah's history in her head, and as a woman insisting her overstuffed pocketbook will do, she kept trying to wiggle one more thing in. She knew the town's myths and mysteries, its secrets and scandals. In her hours at the library, she scoured newspapers line by line and then read between those lines. With the consideration and care of a surgeon, she stitched the flesh of each character into reality. These characters were as real as anyone sitting on the church pew or standing in line at the market and much safer. <laughs> and much safer. <laughs> much safer. That was such a great selection for many reasons. Number one, I feel like the reality versus imagination theme is such a big part of this book that makes it super whimsical. And I just love that. Um, but also, you, Captain Fowler is uh, that character, that sort of part in the very beginning of the book. I think you open up the next chapter after she kind of meets him or sees him. And she's like talking about his story about the Mexican hairless cat. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so 
I have to ask you, like, you know, and we were talking about this a little bit before we hopped on this call, but I can tell you are very good at, I mean, you're funny. You're a funny person, I can tell. Um, and But there's some darker parts of this story. You know, Minerva herself is, like we were saying, she's not the most bright and fuzzy and bubbly person. Um, it's a darker story, but you do a really great job of kind of weaving in these moments that are humorous and very funny and silly. So what does your process look like for that? Do you kind of write the the story and, you know, all the darker parts and sort of go back and add in more humorous bits? Or how do you normally write um, from that standpoint? You know, I think that I have just trained myself to look at the world with uh, an eye toward humor because it's a coping mechanism. You yeah. know, when things are really when things are really difficult, if you if you can find a little humor somewhere, it, it eases that pain. Right. And, uh, you know, it, my dad recently passed away and, and we were telling stories about him that made us laugh. And that was very helpful in our grief. And so I think that's just the way I process things. I process things looking for something that will uh, trigger, trigger my humor or uh, just a smile even. Right. So do you think you look at, um, and I realize with fiction, well, I'm sure it's kind of the same with this. I know a lot of memoir writers or nonfiction writers, they'll say, okay, well, writing my memoir was therapeutic. Uh, but writing stories with kind of this type of heart in it um, and that sort of depicts grief so well and that kind of thing, did you find it therapeutic to write this story? Like in any way, like just sort of like... Writing is, yeah, writing is always therapeutic to me. That, that you know, I, I try to see things with humor, but I... I, as I write them, that it becomes more real. So it's, it's very, um, very helpful to me to write. I don't know how people who don't like to write even process life. (laughs) (laughs) I agree with that. I mean, I feel like I'm trying to remember, it might've been uh, Glennon Doyle or something. She was just like, I don't even care if I'm bad at this. When she got started, she was just like, I have to let it out somehow. I can just say nothing on this page, but it's still writing some scribbles. That's right. That's right. And it gets out. So for your writing process, are you a, we talk about planners and pantsers on this show a lot. So people who kind of plan out their manuscripts and storyboard and that, that sort of thing. And then there's people who just sort of, you know, head to the races, like pants it out. They don't really plan at all. Which one are you? Right. Well, I, you can probably guess I am a panster all the way. I <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I all the way into something. And I think I wish I had planned this out better because then I have to go back and rework things. But that's, uh, I, I have tried so hard to be a planner and to yeah. plot things out carefully. And um, that's just not the way stories get told out of me. <laughs> That's I'm the same way. I feel like, and I don't know, another thing, it's Liz Gilbert, another kind of, you know, uh, Glennon-ish writer too. I, she always talks about how creativity visits you, you know, like it's sort of its, its own thing and it comes to you when it wants to. And I feel like that's totally how I see it as well, where it's just like, I, I couldn't yeah. be a planner if I tried to. <laughs> yeah. my, my co-hosts on this show are always just like, you know, get this done. And I'm like, oh, do it now but will I actually do it now that's the question I will do it though (laughs) no I think that's great um I think we have time for a couple more questions I want to make sure I ask you so one of Minerva's top 10 rules I loved in the book she says people who are smart love to read I thought that was funny and also you know I think that's true what do you think is that true for you do you believe that (laughs) I do believe that however I have a, a I have some experience with ADHD 
uh, people in my family. And I know they don't like to read, but they're very, very smart. So audio books has, has become a, fant- a fantastic tool for people who right. like to read, but really don't like to read. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to look at the written page. They just want to hear the story. <laughs> right, right. That's very true. I think audiobooks have really come in handy for me as a new mom too, because um, sometimes it can be harder to sit down. Um, so it's just a great way to still get the stories in. Um, and so this is your debut novel, right? Right. This is your first novel. So I'm curious to know, what would you, your writing self now, after finishing your debut novel, tell your writing self ahead of starting the process of writing the manuscript? What have you learned? Oh, gosh, I've learned so much. It's hard to know. Um, You know, lessons that I have have learned through this particular book have been more about the public publishing world. I really didn't know anything about it. I'd always been a journalist and uh, and uh, knew about that world. But the, the world of fiction and the world of publishing was new to me. So um, I made so many mistakes, but I learned from all of those mistakes. So I don't, you know, I don't know what lessons in particular I learned. Um, I'm a very persistent person. So once I made up my mind that I was going to write the book, it was just a, a matter of time of when that book was going to be written. But then I really wanted the book published. And so I had to go back and figure out how to tackle that, too. And I started off wanting an agent and trying to get an agent and have a critique partner who who I write with. And uh, she she encouraged me to submit to some of the smaller independent presses. And I did that and and got the contract with Regal House Publishing. And that was a, a marvelous first experience in the publishing world. Oh, yeah. And shout out to Regal and Janie and the whole team over there. They're so fun and easy to work with. Um, You landed in a really good spot. Um, Well, Tracy, thank you so much for coming on today. I I feel I love talking to you and you're so funny and just like what a great energy. Um, All of you should check out her book and congratulations on a debut novel. That's amazing. Thank you. It's been so much fun and it's been great meeting people like you along the way too. Oh, I I feel like the book tour, all of that kind of events, media, you you just the public, the book world is just such a fun place to be, isn't it? It is. It really is. Lots of supportive people. We have a newsletter called Beyond 300, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, sararcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. All right, here we are with uh, the act two, the writing topic. So we first got a, a tip from uh, Paul Reale uh, with Charlotte Litt. Uh, the tip today is called Refreshing Your Reading. Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Paul Reale, co-founder of Charlotte Litt, with a two-minute tip for Charlotte Readers Podcast. This is one of a series of tips written especially for summertime. For many of us, if we're fortunate, The summer is when we take a little time to refresh. So how might you refresh your reading and your writing? Just as we get into life ruts, work ruts, relationship ruts, we get into reading ruts too. 
Use the summer to get out of your reading rut. Here are three ways. One, pick up a new book that excites you at your local bookseller or used bookshop or library and read it immediately. Don't add it to your stack. Read the first page before you bring it home and make sure it grabs you. Two, read something outside your normal habit. Maybe even something you never would read. If you read contemporary, try Pride and Prejudice. If you read only fiction, try a memoir or poetry. Three, pair your reading and your television watching by reading a book and then watching its filmed adaptation or vice versa. Not sure where to begin? Try Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, but there are hundreds of other options. Now, if you are a writer, how can you get out of a writing rut? My favorite way is to work on something entirely unlike what you usually write. Change from poetry to prose, say, or from fiction to nonfiction, from realistic to magical realism. Struggle with dialogue? Try writing a play, which is all dialogue, and so forth. Don't expect to show these writings to anyone. It's about energy and momentum, not about finding a new form for your writing, although you might. Another possible refresh is to get a copy of The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. It's a 12-week program to help artists get unstuck. Follow the steps and you'll emerge refreshed. The song says, there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Au contraire. For more two-minute tips from Charlotte Litt, listen to Beyond 300 episodes of this podcast or visit charlottelitt.org slash tips. Look at that. Paul Rialli breaking into song for us. Ain't no cure for the summertime blues. <laughs> Bravo. <laughs> uh, I don't think there's blues in the summertime. Uh, it's good times in the summertime. Yeah. Uh, but if you had to cure the summertime blues, uh, reading and writing would be one thing to do. Uh, refreshing your reading. Uh, what are your thoughts, uh, Sarah? Yeah, I think this is a great tip. I mean, writer's block is a real thing, whether it's, you know, because you just lack inspiration or you're struggling to find progress on a certain project, however you frame that, like nobody talks about, you know, chef's block or engineer's <laughs> block or roofer's block. Like it's something that, <laughs> that writers <laughs> in particular. I'm not sure I get my head around this particular roof yeah, here. Uh, just yeah. stuck. <laughs> I need a new roof. Should, should it be shingles or should it be planks? I can't or, decide what comes you know, next. Chef's yeah. block. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's supposed to be a straight line, but you know, uh, I'm just tired of straight lines. Exactly. Oh exactly. God. Like sometimes, I don't know, there's just something about writing in particular where you do need to like get yourself out of a rut sometimes or figure out how to make progress or how to feel like find your your love and passion for it again and find inspiration um so these are great tips i think to to get out of a reading rut and out of a writing rut and i think the reading ones are good tips for writers too like sometimes changing up your reading or reading something that you're really excited by can help you get out of a writing rut and can help you just feel inspired and be like oh well i want to do that i want to write something like that too so Mm. it all kind of works together yeah, and I think, you know, this podcast for me has been that because uh, I have certain things that I might have defaulted to if I was going to walk in a bookstore to pick up. But uh, I've read all kinds of books and all genres that I might not have picked up otherwise on the podcast, which has really uh, led me to authors and, you know, genres that I hadn't hadn't been in before that uh, had some great stories. Uh, your thoughts, Hannah? 
Yeah, I love this tip a lot too. And I, I like this whole series. I think it's nice to kind of just like have a more uh, relaxing approach to, you know, <laughs> your summers, getting out of a rut, stuff like that. And of course, I'm sure as you can guess, uh, I love TV, as I've said millions of times <laughs> on this show. So I love the idea that he's saying like, watch an adaptation of something that you read in the past that can kind of open up your creativity a little bit too. And um, I agree with that. I think uh, I used to feel like it was I, I it was kind of a similar idea to like, you don't want to say you're reading like an Elon Hildebrand book or whatever beach read type of thing. It's, you don't really want to be like, Oh, well I was going to read the book, but I just watched the show instead. That kind of thing. But you know, sometimes it can be nice to do both or do one, like just kind of experience storytelling in a different way. And I think when it comes to TV too, it's like, it's also writing, right? So it's like, you can really appreciate, um, like the writing behind a show I feel like you know me and Sarah talk about succession a lot on the mm-hmm. outside of this just how great the the writing is you know you appreciate that a lot so I think that's a really interesting tip that you know readers and writers might not think about traditionally is to say like okay well maybe watch the adaptation of the book or watch a show and kind of appreciate the writing and that kind of thing it's kind of a more um like a, f- a fun way to look at your process a little bit so I like that a lot yeah, great great tip Paul refreshing you're reading and you're writing, try something new. It'll lead to new ideas. It'll it'll sort of add some juice to your creativity. And, and in the reading world, you might find something or you might find an author that you uh, didn't didn't realize you are going to fall in love with until you actually read it. And if you do it in a beach chair with your favorite brew beside you, all the better. Mm-hmm. You know? Or maybe <laughs> in a mountain stream, too. You could go park next to a mountain stream and, and do that as well. So, uh, Good place to right, let's uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, right after this, we're going to come back with uh, a blog post uh, in just a minute. If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottemeterspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits. But with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play or participate in an author or marketing talk or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750 word or less blog post to our community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details. Okay, here we are with our community blog, Matt Scott. He's the author of the Surviving the Lion's Den series. Uh, his blog post is titled The Keys to Writing My First Novel. Sarah, tell us about Matt. Uh, sure. Matt Scott is the author of the Surviving the Lion's Den series, which debuted in 2021. He got his bachelor's in political science and history from Hampton Sydney College, where he had the honor of studying under former director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, General Sam Wilson, who was the college's president and first introduced Matt to the world of espionage. Um, in his subsequent studies, Matt became fascinated by the CIA and read dozens of books related to Middle East politics, spycraft, the CIA's war against terrorism, tales of inclusion of clandestine spies and double agents and memoirs of former agency directors. What better background than to write uh, a series that involves a uh, conspiracy and yeah. clandestine <laughs> spies and double agents. Uh, all right, well, let's listen in to, to the blog post. I was always someone who was passionate about many things, but the problem with being passionate about many things is that that passion is evenly distributed in such a way that one isn't truly passionate about one thing. It's kind of like being a loner. The best thing about being a loner is that people leave you alone. The worst thing about being a loner is that people leave you alone. 
With regard to writing, I'd always been good at inscribing greeting cards or pinning essays, but writing a novel seemed like a far-fetched dream reserved for those in the business that had been preordained for legendary status. So, I read. I read thriller novels by those who were deemed worthy of greatness at the time, but had not yet achieved legendary status. Dan Brown, Vince Flynn, Brad Thor, David Baldacci, and others. Over the course of time, I can now say that reading their novels had a profound influence on me. I absorbed their respective styles, learned the craft of developing characters, and weaving a plot. But I still couldn't make myself pull the trigger and write my own novel. Self-doubt is a curse for many of us. After all, I was an office worker in my late 30s and believed that any notions of professional destiny had likely passed me by. This wasn't to say that I didn't have ideas for a novel. I did. I simply didn't have the courage to manifest them into something tangible. However, that all changed in November 2018. At the time, I was just another avid reader with a dream of becoming a writer. I drove through a snowstorm to meet David Baldacci in Williamsburg, Virginia, while he was touring for his new novel, Long Road to Mercy. When it was my turn at the table, being 39 years old at the time, I asked David if 40 years old was too old for one to write their first novel. He stopped mid-signature, looked up at me, and said, Oh, hell no. The industry could use some good young writers. I didn't know which part of that comment surprised me the most. On one hand... This legendary man of the literary world was telling me to go forth with my mythic destiny. On the other hand, he thought 40 years old was still considered to be young. When I returned home, I decided to go for broke and began outlining my first novel. Over the course of many rewrites and edits, I discovered elements about myself that I didn't know were present. First, there was no one with whom for me to report or check in. I reported only to myself, and the story went where I alone decided to take it. My story would literally live or die with my own keystrokes, and I did not seek advice on, from anyone on story structure. I would flourish or perish on this pursuit by my story's own sword. Most importantly, I discovered to trust my instincts in a way that I hadn't before. When writing my story, there was no time for self-doubt as my fingers pounded away at the keyboard. The only way to determine if what I wrote was worthy and made sense was to complete the sentence, paragraph, or chapter. Editing would come later, but getting my initial thoughts on paper were essential. I was fortunate enough, though, to discover what I think is the best feeling an author can have early in the process. As nervous as it still makes me feel, I love starting my day by looking at my generic outline and wondering how in the world am I going to write a character out of a certain situation. To this day, I can't explain it to myself, but within the literary world, there are fewer feelings more gratifying than not knowing how you will do something than only moments later reflecting on how you did precisely that, leaning back in your chair and saying, Damn, that was good. Each time this happens to me, I head downstairs and pour myself a celebratory shot of Jack Daniels' finest. My journey to writing the Surviving the Lion's Den series was planted years ago when I started reading novels by authors who are now renowned for their craft and grew in my meeting David Baldacci. But it certainly flourished by me trusting my own skills and instincts. Sometimes you can teach an old dog new tricks, and it's never too late to start. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. Um, thanks, Matt, for that. Uh, and I'm glad you followed your passion. Uh, David Badalci has been on this podcast several times. He's quoted a number of times in the Right Quotes series. And, and I found him to be a very encouraging uh, author to other authors. And I'm glad that uh, he was encouraging to you as well, because it's never too late to start writing. Uh, what jumped out at you, Hannah, uh, in, in this uh, post? 
Yeah, I mean, this was great. I love how, you know, I feel like I he has such an authentic uh, way of presenting himself. I, I really loved how he, he kind of marveled at the idea that he was like, I can't believe he thought I was young. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, to me, 41 is a I mean, yeah. Like, I forget who it was that said, don't even like write a book before you're 30. Cause it, it won't be like, Wolf. Oh, was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Cause it's just like, you don't really know. And I mean, looking back on your younger, it's just, I don't know. I mean, there's great writers like Sydney Horn who else, you know, whatever, but it's just, I thought that was great <laughs> that he said that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of great stuff in this. I, I think that it's, it's really nice that he's kind of celebratory too of when he gets to a certain milestone, like whether it's taking a shot of Jack Daniels, like <laughs> he does, or just doing something for yourself and really kind of honoring, you know, the fact that you were able to write um your first book you know it's such a great thing to celebrate um so yeah i think for me that was kind of just like a very encouraging post as far as just like you know you can do anything it doesn't there's never really a, a late point i've i mean i've worked with authors who are 80 plus before you know writing their first mm -hmm. book into the past and it's just like you'd be shocked <laughs> at how many people right. you just like find that inside of yourself so um congrats matt that's amazing yeah, so Sarah, uh, when you have those moments where you realize, gosh, how did I do that? Mm -hmm. What do you do? Uh, I don't take a shot at Jack Daniels, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, do, I do know that like that feeling, I, I think he's right, it is one of the best feelings because you get into a moment with your writing where you just feel like you're stuck and you can't figure out what to do about something and you're like oh this whole thing is trash like throw it off a cliff <laughs> and then somehow you you work through that and you figure it out and you make it better and, and that really is the best feeling when you just somehow the pieces click and you figure it out um yeah i, I don't necessarily do a shot but <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe a, a latte <laughs> <laughs> an espresso uh, shot <laughs> spike your latte yeah. <clears throat> well he did have this comment no time for self-doubt um when writing, I think that's important. We've heard that before when you're trying to get that first draft on paper. Just uh, don't be doubting yourself as you're working through it because it's not going to be the finished product, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, um, that, that principle of like don't – I know some authors who will edit themselves as they go and it works for them, but I think for a lot of people, like don't self-edit too much during a first draft is really important. Unless you're absolutely convinced that everything that you're writing is going to end up in the final product, because mm -hmm. then you might be wasting a little bit of time once you pull back and see you know, the whole the whole picture. Uh, well, this is great. I'm glad that uh, uh, Matt, you went up and met with Dave Badalci and, and and got going on this uh, on this project, this series, Surviving the Lions Den. Sounds like you got some good background there to to put us in some tough spots and, uh, as you say, to figure out uh, how to get out of them and then to have a little shot. <laughs> so, uh, of something. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we'll be right back uh, with Act 3 and uh, some book recommendations and what's coming next. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. All right, here we are with uh, Act 3 in the book recommendation section of the show. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Sarah. What you got for us today? 
this time I am recommending actually an autobiography. Uh, it's called My Cross to Bear by Greg Allman and Alan Light. Um, Alan is a m- music journalist. I think he's the former editor-in-chief of Spin and Vibe magazine. So he kind of co-wrote this. And I've been reading this for uh, research for a pr- project that I'm in the very early stages of working on writing. Um, but it's also just something that I, I've always been like really interested in classic rock. I've always loved that music just as a, a fan. Um, that whole time period of like the 60s and 70s, I think is fascinating. And my my dad works for the Allman Brothers Band. So I kind of grew up listening to their music and going to their shows and hearing stories about them. Um, and they as a group and, and Greg Allman particularly had like such fascinating stories to tell. And he just has a fascinating life. And I think in this book, um, they do a really good job. I'm sure that Alan probably did a lot of the actual writing, but he really captures Greg's voice. And he's very funny. Um, He's got just a a really unique way of putting sentences together and telling stories, great storyteller, great sense of humor. Um, So many kind of weird and quirky and funny or or sad things that happened in his life. And if you're interested at all in rock music or like the the 60s and 70s era, there's a lot in here to to see. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's a really funny, interesting and enjoyable read. Great, great beach read. Yeah, right, good. Hannah. Lots of good beach reads. I've got another one for yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I'm recommending Little Weirds by Jenny Slate, who she's just like, I love her. She is a stand up comedian and she did Marcel the show with, uh, she's, you know, the voice of that character. And uh, she's just actually Parks and Rec. She has a great character too, but she's just really funny. And her book, um, it's kind of like part memoir, part essay, part like little bits of fiction in it. Um, so it's pretty much, I would say it's kind of hard to describe because there are some different elements to it, but it's kind of like, she is telling you, it, it, she describes it as she has an IV of like happiness and light <laughs> kind of going or just going into her body. And so just sort of like, I don't know, ab- absorbing these experiences in your life, experiences in your life and becoming, um, better through them and learning through them so whether it's something sad like bouts of depression or uh people that you meet falling in love you know things like that it's a lot of little stories about that but she tells it as if it's like kind of just being injected into her body um it's really good Mm. and she's funny so i feel like it's i laughed out loud several times it kind of reminds me of like tina fey's books a little bit like in that sense where you, you can sort of hear her saying the things that she's talking about um but it would be great to bring to the beach with you this summer it's just funny and like the title little weirds it's it's weird it's it's a interesting book and yeah i loved it <laughs> all right well in the spirit of being uh close to the water with your books uh i'm recommending the water is wide by pat conroy uh recently uh well i guess it's not so recently but back in uh, april uh went on a golf trip down to hilton head island with some guys and we went over to defusky island one day on the ferry and uh played golf over there and didn't realize that the Fusky Island was actually uh, the location of the island where Pat Conroy worked one year when he was uh, a young graduate from the Citadel. He went over in the spirit of being sort of uh, in the Peace Corps or Vista or whatever. He was going to teach school on this uh, remote island uh, with these kids. And it's just, it's a memoir, but it's it's, it's a great uh story uh well written pat conroy's writing is fantastic but uh it, it tells the story of uh teachers versus administrators in the late 60s um what it's like to live in the uh beaufort area is it beaufort beaufort what is it hannah down there so. i don't know <laughs> i know there's like i think it's, you live in charleston i think it's beaufort i think it's beaufort and then yeah. beaufort's the one in north carolina <laughs> 
Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, we're going to get called out. Somebody's going to call out. It'll be the first time we get some reader feedback. I know. Feedback. Ah, y'all got this wrong. Y'all got this wrong. People are really intense but, about the Southern city names. Yeah, like, damn. But anyway, <laughs> he, he went over on a boat every morning, uh, year round, no matter how cold it was. And, uh, taught these kids, took them on field trips, but the administration couldn't, uh, get their head around his, uh, teaching techniques. Um, and it was during a time where he was coming to terms with, uh, having been through the Citadel and dealing with his dad. You know, he had great books, The Great Santini, you know, the, you know all these different, uh, The Prince of Tides. Um, but, uh, yeah, check out, this would be, a, if you haven't read Pat Conroy, it would be a great book to start with because it gives you an insight into the kind of person he is and the kind of writer he is. And The Water is Wide, so that's my recommendation. And uh, we got Mark West here, and I think he's got a title that uh, fits right with our theme. Let's listen in. Hello. This is Mark West with the Storied Charlotte blog. My book recommendation today is a perfect book for kids to bring with them when they go to the beach this summer. The book is called The Sea Witch's Revenge, and it's written by a former Charlotte writer named Susan Diamond Riley. The book is part of a mystery series called The Delta and Jack Mysteries, and like all the books in the series, it's set in the Carolina Low Country around Hilton Head Island. In this particular mystery series, the boy and girl, Delta and Jack, um, find a mysterious wooden box with odd messages that seem to be communicating mysteries from the past. This book delves a lot into the history of this part of South Carolina and it makes for a fun and entertaining reading experience. I highly recommend The Sea Witch's Revenge. <laughs> All right, well done, Mark West. Passionate. <laughs> Very passionate. Love it. Uh, all right, well, um, let's do this. We're going to, uh, I think that's it. That's a lot of good recommendations uh, you've got. I uh, hope you'll pick one out and read it and hope you enjoyed this episode thanks for hanging with us uh, as long as you did today and uh, we're now going to let you know what's coming next so next time we're going to feature English professor and author David Wright Faladay in his book Black Cloud Rising which is the story of an African brigade of former slaves who fought for the Union along the coast of Virginia and North Carolina during the fall of 1863 National Book Award winner Charles Frazier describes this book as richly detailed a grippingly told story that breathes life into a revolutionary revolutionary moment when the U.S. moved a vital step forward toward achieving the ideals we've always proclaimed. We also have a blog post from Pernell Hughes, author of 10 Years, called Random Nuggets for Writerly Wranglings. Looking forward to hearing about that. And we're going to have a great tip from Charlotte Lit and book recommendations. That's right. Uh, another great episode coming. Hannah, you want to take us out of here? Yeah, we'll see you next time. So in the meantime, just read on, write on, and rock on. <laughs> rock on, rock on.